Hey, Mike here. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to Dark Poutine early and ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Families have a lot going on. Let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive health supplements for everyone four and up, like delicious lolly Focus Pops or lolly Mellow Pops for kids. And for parents, try three new Brainy Chews to help you focus, chill out, or get energized. Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. You're about to listen to a historical episode of Dark Poutine. After episode 149, you will find Scott is no longer with the show. In an effort to maintain continuity and offer listeners as many episodes as possible, we are leaving the episodes in which he co-hosted intact. Thank you. Hi, I'm Jamie from the Murderish Podcast. You're listening to Dark Poutine, a podcast about Canada's creepier side with hosts Mike Brown and Scott Hemingway. That was uh, Jamie Rice, our good friend from the Murderish Podcast, doing this week's intro. I did one for her too, which is kind of fun. Uh, she actually inspired me to tell my story by uh, taking the time to talk about an event that happened to her in episode four of uh, the Murderish podcast called A Stranger in My Bedroom. Hmm. Yeah. Uh, have a listen to that. It's it's quite, quite harrowing. Uh, it was her courageous matter-of-fact telling of that story that prompted me to finally tell my own story. Uh, so I've been planning this for a while, but this is a very special episode of Dark Poutine. I'm Mike Brown, creator and host of Dark Poutine. With me is my good friend Scott, co-host, sound engineer, and fellow broken-brained person. Say I'm, hello, Scott. I'm Scooters. You are Scooters. Scooters Hemingway. <laughs> Maybe that's what we should call you on the podcast is Scooter. Maybe I shouldn't have mentioned that. <laughs> okay, Scott. I won't call you Scooter. All right, Matt. Oh, that's so funny. <laughs> uh, yeah, so we've got uh, – I essentially don't have to uh, ask for intros anymore because so many people have sent us some. <laughs> that's uh, awesome. It's, it is really yeah. great. Uh, love, love everybody being involved. Yeah, we appreciate anybody taking the time to do anything for us and with us. <laughs> Um, back scratches? You know, yeah, back scratches would love be nice, but uh, I don't think you can send that via email. Boo! Right? Um, yeah, we've like we've had so many people tell give send us story ideas. Uh, one in particular was uh, uh, a story about uh, uh, this girl who went missing. I don't know if you remember this one, Mindy Tran. Oh, that sounds so familiar. Yeah, she was a little girl who went missing riding her bike in the interior. And uh, anyway, I ended up getting a lot of research about this little girl and this, what happened to it her. It sounds so familiar. I'm quite – I'm quite – I. it's coming to me as we yeah. are sitting here. Yeah. Well, anyway, don't 
dig in too much because we will definitely talk about it in next week's episode. Mm. But this week, uh, I'm telling my story. Uh, so it's about time. Um, yeah. So Scott's going to sign off here, but he'll be back at the end of the episode and we'll, we'll, we'll talk about, um, what I talk about. Yeah. So yeah. this one I'm doing solo. So let's get to it. Dark poutine is not for the faint of heart or squeamish as our content contains mature themes, harsh language, and graphic personal descriptions of a crime that happened to me. As always, listener discretion is advised and uh, maybe even a sense of humor. I don't know how funny anyone will find this one. I hope you don't. <laughs> uh, so put on your toque, grab yourself a double-double in an Nanaimo bar. It's time to scarf down some dark poutine. No Air Canada horns, not this week. I want to be careful how I present this story because it's mine. People have asked why I study the dark side of human nature or what Carl Jung refers to as the shadow. They've also asked why true crime? Well, I'm going to tell you. I didn't have to do a lot of writing about this episode. I didn't have to do any research because I lived it. The events I'll be relating to you are extremely personal and not something I've ever talked about easily. I'm hoping I can tell it the right way. I want to let our listeners behind the curtain a bit to let you get to know a bit more about me. I'm a little fearful about doing this episode as well. I'm afraid I might get some negative backlash for talking about my story. I don't want to compare myself in any way to the horrible things some people have endured at the hands of criminals like the one I met. There's been a lot of that in the news lately. That's not what this is about. But the courage of others coming forward has definitely inspired me. I'm not looking for pity, sympathy, or even empathy. What my intent is to tell a story that I kept a secret for a big portion of my life. This is one of the deep, dark secrets that I held on to that made me terribly sick. Mentally, physically, spiritually, emotionally, you name it. I was one sick puppy, and I needed help. Eventually I got it, but it took a lot longer than it should have. I hope my candor inspires someone to relieve themselves of their own burden uh, so they don't have to suffer in silence for as long as I did. The story is relevant to the conversation a true crime and it needs to be told, and it's not the only one I have, strangely. This is the one I'm telling you this time. Maybe my story will help someone feel less alone. Uh, they might hear it and be able to step out of the shadows and share their burden with someone else. That said, I can feel my chest tightening up as I write and speak, but forge ahead we must. I need to get this one out. This is the story of a crime that happened to an 11-year-old future podcast host one warm summer night way back when. A word of caution to you all. If you're triggered by or disturbed by discussions of sexual assault and violence this may not be the episode for you you've been warned anyway here goes wednesday july 29th 1981 was a memorable one for a few reasons i don't remember the whole day but parts of it are burned into my brain my 12th birthday was a week away and the start of junior high was looming a month later no more elementary school for this guy. I was going into grade 7, joining the big kids in BHS. Music has always been a big part of my life, so I tend to remember eras by the songs that people were listening to, and 
that I was listening to. That week, Rick Springfield's song, Jesse's Girl, was number one. And Rick James' Super Freak had just been released. It wasn't even on the charts yet. I woke up early that morning. I don't recall if it was on purpose or not, but I think it was. It was the day Prince Charles married the media darling Lady Diana Spencer, who later became known as simply Princess Di. The time difference between the UK, specifically London, and Atlantic Canada is four hours. We had no VCR yet. PVRs didn't exist, so if you wanted to see a moment on TV, you had to either watch it live or wait for a replay. I chose watching live. Well, I guess I was a bit of a royal fanboy, I don't know. The crowd watching in England and around the world had no idea what was in store for the young royal newlyweds, nor of Diana's ultimate sad end years later. I personally had no idea how my day was going to end. For years after, I thought if I'd known what was going to take place that day, I might not have left the house. I blame myself mercilessly for what happened, as some people do when bad things happen to them. I'm not saying it's the right thing to do, but it's what I did. The next order of business was going to receive my prize for having raised the most money for the Terry Fox Runathon. It was the very first one. Terry Fox was a Canadian cancer survivor who had lost his leg to the disease. To raise awareness and money for cancer research, Terry Fox attempted to run across Canada alone on his remaining leg, doing a distinctive hop with his artificial right leg. He started his Marathon of Hope in Newfoundland in 1980, but only made it to Thunder Bay, Ontario, not halfway across the country. The cancer had come back and spread to his lungs. Terry died, but the Terry Fox Fun Run was created in his honor. The run still happens, and loads of cash is raised each year in Terry's name. I don't remember how much money I raised, but I assume it was a lot, as I won a prize. I got dressed in a white t-shirt, white sports socks, blue jeans, and white canvas Nike high tops. I also wore my red pullover windbreaker. It was one of those ones that would fold up into a pouch that went around your waist with an elastic belt. Me and three of my buddies all had exactly the same windbreaker. We were the furthest thing from a gang, though. Just kids liked each other and liked to hang out a lot. It was the last day I wore that windbreaker that I'd begged my mom for. I was to go to the Desbrizay Museum that sat in the park abutting my parents' property. I mentioned it in the Carissa Boudreaux episode. I jogged up through the woods to the museum to have my photo taken for the local newspaper. At that time, it was called the Bridgewater Bulletin. While holding my prize, a dark blue and neon green trimmed Adidas book bag. Everybody remembers those who was alive in the 80s. Pretty much every young man had one. I was pretty proud of that bag. I already had an Adidas bag. I had a red and blue one, uh, but... I loved the colors of this one as the neon really stood out. Sadly, it would come to remind me of this shitty thing that happened to me. In the evening, I headed up to the Michelin Social Club on the other side of town to meet my buddies. My friend Barry's dad worked at Michelin, the tire plant, uh, so we were allowed access to the social club to play floor hockey. Nothing organized, just a bunch of guys blowing off steam. As far as I remember, we had a pretty good time and finished around 9.30 p.m. We were there for <laughs> most of the evening. Uh, the social club is about a 45-minute walk, 3.5 kilometers from my parents' house, literally on the other side of our small town. I started walking home with two of the other guys, Dominic and Barry, and uh, Barry lived on St. Philip Street, so we left him first at his door. My pal Dominic lived near my dad's animal hospital, which is just over a kilometer away from home, or about another 20-minute walk. I was used to walking that route on my own. 
Not typically that late at night. I did at one point before we left consider calling mum and dad, but you know what? What the heck? It was only a little walk. I remember passing my grandmother's house. Uh, it was on the way. Her lights were still on. A block from Nanny's place was one of the only set of traffic lights that was in our hometown, where York Street turns into Alexander Avenue and is split by Dufferin Street. I could hear the sounds from the midway of the exhibition called The Big X in the exhibition grounds at the top of Dufferin Street, about a kilometer and a half away. I looked to my right uh, up Dufferin Street as I crossed at the lights. I don't recall any traffic or cars at all. Most of the town, other than those whooping it up at the beer garden at the Big X, were most likely in bed. But I did see a lone man walking down the hill toward me. It was a small, safe town. I'd made this walk so many times. But something seemed off pretty much right away. My spidey sense was tingling. I looked behind me and I could see about 50 meters back the man who I had seen walking down the hill was starting to walk behind me and he was walking quickly. I picked up the pace being shorter of stature still. I had to move along at a good clip to stay ahead of the guy who seemed to be walking faster as I did. Another couple blocks. He was getting closer I could actually hear his footsteps and see his shadow stretched in the streetlights behind me. I definitely now believed something was wrong, but I tried to dismiss it as being all in my head. I had to get the advantage, though. I stopped right under a street lamp and bent down to tie my shoe. It didn't need tying, but uh, I tied it anyway. My bum was to the stranger. I didn't want to make eye contact. He walked by me really slowly, but he went. I could feel him staring at me as he passed. I don't know if you've ever felt that, but that's the way it felt. I was thoroughly creeped out by that time. Having him in front of me, I walked much slower to put some distance between myself and the man. In 250 meters, I'd be at home. Just a couple blocks, but first we had to walk by that damn park. It was really, really dark in there. I didn't want that guy anywhere near me in the darkness, especially in that park. That would not be good. This guy oozed creep. I'm not sure how I knew, but I knew. I'd never had a bad experience with any adult in my life that I could recall before that, not once. The man turned down Park Street. It's a very short street. There were only five houses on the street, and it's a dead end. Being from that neighborhood, I knew everybody who lived on that street, and that guy did not belong there. He was out of place. As I approached Park Street myself, I picked up the pace again, hoping that I could get by without having to have a confrontation with this guy. But he turned on his heel and he came toward me, quickly, illuminated by only a streetlight on the other side of the road. It was, it was pretty terrifying. He wasn't a big man, but bigger than me. It doesn't take much to be taller than I am. He was wearing dark brown slacks, a white collared shirt, and a brown blazer with beige patches on the elbows. He had hush puppy shoes on, like my dad wore. He had to be somewhere in his early to mid-thirties. His hair looked like a helmet. I don't know why I remember that, but it was a weird hairdo. Some kind of shitty comb over. And he had really dark eyes. He spoke to me as he walked toward me. He said, Do you have the time? I said, stopping no, but I think it's around 10.30. Almost right on top of me, he said, Don't you think it's a little late for a boy your age to be out? I think I said no. I don't really recall although a lot of the rest of it I remember very vividly I don't really remember what I said or did which is really weird perhaps that's something that happens in a traumatic event it was then that he grabbed me hard 
He quickly bent my arm back up behind my back, my right arm. I was so startled I, I don't even remember if it hurt or not. He growled into my ear, Don't scream or I'll break your arm. He smelled funny too, like alcohol, shitty food, B.O. or all three, I don't know. He started pushing me quickly toward the dark woods of the park. I was horrified, but I was going. I didn't know whether I should scream or not. You know, he threatened me. I didn't understand what was happening at all, and, and I really, truly began to fear for my life. He was hurting me. I was crying. I whimpered, what are you going to do to me? Little did I know then, but with the answer to that question, my innocence would end right there. In that moment, my childhood was effectively over. He said to me, I'm going to take you into the woods and I'm going to suck your cock. I'm sorry if those words offend you, but those are the words that he said to me. He said those words to an 11-year-old boy. Sure, I'd seen pornography before, but I didn't understand it or what it really was. We hadn't had the talk. I was 11. I'd never had any kind of sexual relationship. I was painfully shy. I had never even held a girl's hand. All I could think about was that this could not happen and that I had to get away. So, uh, adrenaline, I don't know. I screamed, and I squirmed as hard as I could. I don't know whether I hurt myself or him or what, but I just broke out of his iron grip, and I took off, and I ran. It's amazing what strength some adrenaline will give you. I ran for the first house that I could see. It was the Krause's house. I knew their son, Danny, not well. He was younger than me, but I, I, I remember him... We used to toboggan together on the hill that I'd just been attacked on. His father opened the door. He looked kind of disheveled and tired. The lights hadn't been on in the house until I began pounding and screaming. I guess they were in bed. Mr. Krause invited me inside as I blubbered and went on. Like I say, I can't remember what I said. I really don't. All I remember is I was horrified. I just remember the feelings. Mr. Krause called my dad, and he called the police. The police got there first. Dad was angry that the police had gone ahead and questioned me about what was going on uh, prior to his getting there, but that was understandable. Something bad had happened to his son. Me and my dad and the police officer all got into the town of Bridgewater squad car and went looking along the route that I had walked and the route where I had seen the man up Dufferin Street. There was no sign of him. He was long gone. I also remember that night the police setting the tone for how I was to think of this situation in the future, saying things like, well, it could have been worse. And even if we were to catch him, it would be your word against his. I mean, it was 1981, I guess. The most horrific thing that I had been through in my short life had now been minimized by those two sentiments. I tried to push the thoughts of what happened to me f as far away as I possibly could. Obviously, I didn't sleep well that night or for a few nights after that. I remember going to see our minister, Sandy McLean, and he talking to me about what had gone on. And I don't remember what we talked about, but I don't think it helped very much. Over the next few weeks, though, Clifford Olson was arrested for and eventually convicted of the murders of 11 children around my age here in British Columbia, 4,300 miles away. I had to see a photo of him. Was the he the guy? I absolutely thought that it could be. No, after seeing the photo, I knew it wasn't him. But 
I got to relive my own horrors as I listened to those of what had gone on here in British Columbia. I never wore my red windbreaker again. I shoved it as far back as I could in the space above the coat closet. I'm sure Mum found it years later and wondered what the heck it was doing there. I wanted every reminder of that night to be as far away from me as I possibly could. Out of sight, out of mind, right? Wrong. I wasn't getting away that easy. The thought of what happened played over and over and over again with me. What I now know as PTSD. I became a very angry person. I didn't want to hang out with people anymore. I was embarrassed. Uh, the friends that I had from that time, I started to drift away from, and I even fought physically with a couple of them. The thoughts of that man and what he did to me haunted me. I even secretly thought that having a man want me in that way meant I was gay, but I was never attracted to men in that way. But I had a lot of confusion in my 11-year-old brain. I wasn't prepared to deal with that. I dealt with the police twice more that summer, once to give a more detailed description of the man to a sketch artist, and another time to look at a suspect through one-way glass. I'll elaborate more on that in my conversation with Scott later on. I did see this man a few times around town, and much later found out his name, but I somehow felt unworthy of resolution. Hey, it could have been worse, right? It was his word against mine. In my head, I was making too much of a thing of it, and I didn't think anybody wanted to talk to me about it. I was just going to keep it a secret. I didn't want to bug anyone. I believed I deserved what happened to me. I shouldn't have been out that late. I could have called for a ride home. Why the hell didn't I call for a ride home? Mom and Dad always said, just call. But I didn't. It could have been much worse. Yes, it could have been. On and on it goes. Where it stops, nobody knows. When we talk to Scott later on, I'll talk more about what the aftermath of this was and, and my run-ins with this guy, even after the fact. That's the story of what happened to me on July 29th, 1981. Yeah, I mean, maybe it doesn't seem like a lot to you, but it certainly seemed like a lot to me. And until I actually got the help that I required, I didn't get to feel any better about it. This story is a big part of why I have an interest in true crime and what makes a criminal tick. I want to know, what does it take to make a monster? I know Mike in uh, Sword and Scale talks about that, that monsters are real. And I, I believe it's true. I've met one. Have you? I really hope you haven't. But if you have, tell somebody. Have a conversation. Don't hold it inside. You really need to get that out. And I'm not telling you to get it out to me. Get it out to a professional. I'm just some Yahoo who has a podcast who may have had an experience similar to yours. It's best if you talk to the police or a doctor or somebody you trust. Anyway, let's talk to Scott. Yeah, so that's my story. So, I mean, I was 11 years old. Mm. You know, and uh, like, I don't know. A lot more serious things have happened to other people, and I know people who have not escaped an attacker. Uh, so part of me even feels guilty for feeling bad about it. Well, there's no uh, 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 trauma elitism. It, it, they're, they're, yeah, I didn't it, ask it's about to feel bad about it. Yeah. It's about how it impacts you. Yeah. It, it, and uh, that's what a trauma is about, is how something has impacted you. And to you, 
that was the most serious thing you had ever been through yeah. at that time. Yep. And so it's going to be as jarring and is as impactful as the scariest thing happening to somebody else at a particular time yeah. in their life. It's, yeah. you, you can't sit there and say my trauma is more serious than yours or vice versa. It, it's it's legitimate and it's it was a uh, traumatizing event. Yeah, for sure. I mean, and, you know, there was a lot of those different uh, – those different features that were there that may not have uh, may have added to things like the fact that it happened on uh, the day that Charles and Diana got married. So every time that came up, um, I had a, a week before my birthday to remember uh, this guy had attacked me, mm-hmm. you know, and uh, and well, we we tend to as well. One of the things I learned in therapy is that we uh, – one way you can tell that an event was traumatic because you remember it vividly. Vividly, yeah. De- all, You remember all the details. You can remember I can very silly in, things in from earlier eye. in the yeah. day to yeah. to later that night. Like the, that's one way to be able to ascertain was it a trauma or not. Is I can remember in therapy just opening up to my therapist. And it was an event that I actually didn't really – consider traumatizing but i remember the therapist saying like hearing you retell that story like that was that was a traumatic event because you're telling me every minute detail yeah yeah and the fact that uh uh, at the exact same time clifford olson was doing his thing here in bc and that was all over the news and you know i i was obsessed with seeing a picture of clifford olson because i thought maybe that i mean i was 4300 miles away so there is not a lot of chance that it was actually him but at the same time my little pea brain was just you know obsessed with like was this the guy who who tried to hurt me yeah for sure and well he, at 11 years old uh you you don't know how to react you don't know how to process things you're not going to be thinking no. uh, cognitively at, at at 11 years old I'm still oh not he's bad. on the other <laughs> he's he's on the other side of the continent yeah i'm it wasn't him yeah. you you you're thinking in, in in a sense of a man is grabbing kids essentially yeah. and killing them and you just had a man grab you and so you're going you're going to draw those parallels sure yeah for sure so um, after this happened to me, uh, obviously the police want to, you know, want me to have a look at one of the local folks who mm-hmm. may or may not have been the person who was the perpetra- perpetrator of the crime. So yeah. they dragged me in to look through one-way glass and um, and it wasn't the guy. Mm-hmm. But the police messed up. Uh, they brought – him out into the lobby of the police station at the same time as they brought me out. Oh, jeez. So this guy sees this little kid yeah. who may or may not be accusing him of something that he didn't do. Yeah. You know? And he looks right at me and he says, I didn't touch that fucking little bastard. I didn't touch that little prick. You know? So yeah. thank you, police department, for traumatizing me again. What an error. Yeah, not good. No. Um, so that was the only time that I ever saw anybody um, as far as cops go after that. Yeah. Uh, I later had 
instances with the police. <laughs> but I, you know what? And unrelated well, to this pers- Well, maybe it was, you uh, know. Yeah. But uh, I was in a lot of pain for a yeah. lot of years, yeah. right? Um, That's why I kind of, yeah. you know, said maybe not because the yeah. – uh, impact of the trauma. Yeah, for sure. Impacts future decisions. Right. But so the, the the word of the day back then was like, just get over it. Yeah. Just get over it. It's it's okay. It could have been worse. Yeah. It could have been worse. It could have been so much worse. And yeah, it could have been. It yeah. absolutely could have been. But I also learned about, uh, I also learned about fight, flight. And there's another thing, freeze. Yep. That is something that I beat myself for years about. So what happened was um, I saw this guy driving Mm. by slowly Mm. in his car uh, looking at me. Mm -hmm. The thing was after I had had my picture in the newspaper with my full name, Michael Brown, Brown with an E, there's only one or two families with Brown Brown with an E in that town. And the way the world worked at that time was our name, was in the phone book. So this person would know who my parents were, uh, where I lived. He would know our phone number. He would know exactly who I was because we were on the street that I lived on Mm -hmm. when he did this to Mm me, you know? So there's no way he didn't know who I was if he saw that, uh, that Bridgewater bulletin newspaper the next week. Yeah. I was wearing the clothes that I was wearing when he grabbed me. Jesus. Wow. Yeah. So, so yeah, when I saw him again, I froze. I couldn't tell anybody. There was something in me that was just like, I just was so in denial, so frozen by it. It was just like, nope, you know, there's no, I can't deal with this. Yeah, I understand that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, another time uh, I saw him driving by at the school. So going slowly past the playground, like any good pedophile would probably do in his car, drive slowly past the kids. Yep. And there I was. And we made eye contact again. Oh, man. Um, interestingly, my friend Dominic, his dad was uh, the chef at a, at a local restaurant called Gentleman Jim's and it was excellent food. And sometimes, and it was in the mall, in the Bridgewater Mall, mm. uh, just down the street from the school. So sometimes Dominic and I would go to Gentleman Jim's for, for lunch. His dad would make us lunch in the back. Awesome. And they had like asteroids and Pac-Man to play and those kind of things out, out in the bar area. Mm-hmm. And we could just go do that. But uh, one time we went in through the back way in Gentleman Jim's and we were going to co- go out and play some video games and walked out. And who should be sitting in the restaurant having lunch but this guy? Oh, fuck. Right. Uh, and again, once again, I froze. I didn't – I was embarrassed. Yeah. I was questioning – you know, I was questioning by that time my 12-year-old sexuality was in question. Yeah. Because I didn't want people to know that another man had – wanted me quote unquote sexually and it's not sex it's a power thing Mm -hmm. it's this creep doing something creepy to a little kid who is defenseless i'm not a big person still today Uh, i'm a heavier person but i'm not (laughs) a tall person and then i was a very slight little kid yeah you know um so i saw him and I said to Dominic, I said, I don't feel like playing today and I think I'm I'm going to probably head out. And, and he and his dad didn't know what to do. Like, what's wrong? I didn't tell them. Yeah. I couldn't. Yeah. 
because then they would know that I had this secret, right? That I had this thing that had happened to me. And Dominic was one of the kids who was with me at the social club that night. So, you know, it was just like I had I lie after lie after lie I was telling. And I began to just really, really hate myself. And that's when, uh, I don't know, like I was, I was thinking about dying as a kid, you know, like I've, yeah. t- I've told the story a few times to different people, not on this podcast, but I was suicidal yeah. when I was 11 years old. So I wanted to die. I didn't tell my parents that, you know, I wanted that, although they knew I was upset and sad, but I didn't ever take any action on that. But uh, I don't know, when I was 13 or 14, I found booze and that was, mm. that was, that was kind of like uh, a bit of solace from this whole thing for, for a few years anyway. Yeah. Until that turned on me eventually. Yeah. But, um, but yeah, so that's, that's part of what I drank at was was that. I mean, it was a coping mechanism. Sure, there yeah. was other stuff. I mean, I'm adopted. I had I had issues around that, and, yeah. and all that kind of stuff. But this is one that would always crop up. I came home drunk one time and I was crying to mum about this man, and this was years later, you know. Mm-hmm. So it would come out at inopportune times. I would be miserable miserable about it and I, I wanted to talk about it and, but I didn't know how. Yeah. I didn't know what to say. I yeah. Yeah. And I wanted to be past it but I couldn't. Yeah. Um, yeah, so there was a couple, couple other instances of me seeing him. I saw him. I have vague recollections of seeing him when I was very drunk at McDonald's one night. <laughs> And by that time, I was into martial arts. Mm-hmm. That's This is part of why I got into martial arts too because I wanted to be able to take care of myself. I became, in my drunken days, not not a nice person to be around, mm-hmm. which is part of a big part of why I don't drink anymore. But, um, but yeah, so like I just wanted I, – I, it's very foggy. So I don't know if even what I'm telling you is true because I was just yep. so out of it. But uh, I remember seeing this guy and saying, that's the guy. And I had told my buddy Mike, who's since passed away, uh, you know, in confidence one night when I was drunk, I spilled it to him, you know, like you do when you're drunk. You just talk about dumb shit or stuff that's really heavy and bothers you. And uh, so I told my buddy Mike and I said, that's him. I'm going to fucking kill him. And I remember like a couple of my buddies and I can't remember who, but I know Mike was there and I I remember them holding me back and just saying it's not worth it. Mm. So, but yeah, it's very, that's very, a very foggy thing that could have been a dream or a hallucination or what, because there's a lot of foggy parts (laughs) of my life because of that stuff. But yeah, I mean, I was a, I was a drunk, you know? That's the way I coped with with this stuff. Mm-hmm. A lot of people do. Yep. And so, I mean, this is part of why I want to talk about it because uh, it doesn't help you to avoid dealing with, with your stuff. It doesn't help anybody keeping it inside. Uh, uh, I really wish I could have done better. I don't know if this guy ever hurt anybody else i don't know that for sure but i would assume that he had 
In all likelihood, yes. Yeah. And part of me also felt guilty that I couldn't address that. Yeah. You know, is that is that my fault? No. Right? Exactly. I know it's not today, yeah. but there's there had that thought has carried with me for years and years. Is if he touched somebody else and I hadn't been able to identify him or deal with him because I never knew his name. He just would show up. Yeah. And what am I going to do? Call the cops? And like, I didn't understand it. Yeah. Um, I still live with that. Yeah. I did end up finding out his name. Oh, you did? I did. Oh, wow. So uh, I don't want to say her name because uh, uh, it's up to her to tell her yeah. story. Yeah. But a girlfriend who I had before I moved out here to BC, uh, she had been uh, molested by her uncle from the time she was two until she was 16. Oh. Like horrific. Hor- like I can't imagine like somebody, Yeah, I yeah. don't even want to go there, yeah. but that's what happened. Um, so she and I, she, I had told her my story. And she had shared hers with me. So we had some common ground there. We were both pretty sick puppies at the time. I was newly sober. You know, I had finally found sobriety. I was trying to do what I needed to do to stay sober. And uh, we were at her grandma's place one night. And we're going through um, their photo albums. And her, her, um, their... In her grandmother's photo album was this guy. Oh my god! Right in the photo album, yeah. and I and I was like, "Oh my oh. god, who's that?" And she told me his name, and I said, "That's the guy that that did that to me." And she looked at me and said, "The guy with him is my uncle, who oh did my it to me." God. So, birds of a feather. Yeah, you know. Yeah. And her uncle had been in jail, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera for what happened to her uh horrific she was she was a very very mixed up person and she had to be to yeah. get to get together with with somebody who was as mixed up as i was at the time <laughs> yeah um obviously we're we're not together now we we parted ways when yeah. i moved out here uh but uh but yeah so i carried that with me for a while mm. like okay now i know this guy's name and uh a few years ago it was just eating at me, just eating at me and eating at me. Um, I think I was still working in the movie business at the time. So I picked up the phone and I called the RCMP. Hmm. I talked to some people about it previous and they, and they said, yeah, go ahead. It's probably a good idea for you to call, even if it just gets it out for yourself. So yeah. I did. I called the RCMP and I said, a guy touched me when I was a kid and, and I know this person's name. I want to talk about it. And they were like, Okay. Like they took me very seriously, the RCMP here in, in Burnaby. Mm. So I went to the office in Burnaby and I was interviewed in one of those interview rooms like you see on all the TV shows. Like I was in this morning. Like, oh, yeah, we don't want to talk no, about no, that. No, no, no. <laughs> anyway, uh, that's for another podcast. And <laughs> no, Scott is not a suspect. Oh, no, no. So they interviewed me about, and I told my story. Mm. I told the story the way I told it here. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, they said, okay, so what we're going to do is we're going to contact your hometown and we're going we're gonna to have a, a detective from, from Bridgewater give you a call. Okay, fair enough. Great. Fantastic. Because I wanted to close the door on this. Mm-hmm. So the Bridgewater police 
did their thing and gave me a call and they had a photo lineup that I had to do. And so they emailed me pictures and I was supposed to open each one, look at it, say whether or not it was him and delete it. I wasn't supposed to keep these on my computer in any way. I would apparently be breaking the law if I did. Mm. So, okay, fair enough. So they emailed me one. I looked. This guy's pretty creepy. I, I said, no, that's not him. And there were, and I couldn't really see the guy in there. But what I realized later was, yes, this person was there, but it was a picture of him now. now. Yeah. So I didn't recognize yeah. him. I later on, uh, you know, so I, I had conversation with the cop and I said, I can't for sure 100 percent say who who's who. I, I don't know if it's yeah. this guy. And the cop's like, well, you know, um, he was in there. The person that you named was in there. And I thought about it like m- months later, like a month later, it came to me the, the exact picture. Mm. Like now I see it when I close my eyes, I see that picture. Yeah. So I know what he looks like now too. But uh, I said, and I had to ask them, I said, has he hurt anybody else? And they said, well, we can't tell you that. Yeah. Yeah. But what we can tell you is that we know who he is. Uh, fuck. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, yeah. Sorry. Give your kids a hug, you know, and, uh, and, and tell them that it's okay to talk about stuff. If they need to talk to you, like always let them know, hey, I'm here for you. I, I want to hear what you have to tell me, no matter how bad you think it is. So, I don't know. That's kind of, that's kind of as much as I want to talk about <laughs> with that. That's understandable. Yeah. So. Oh, fuck. Yeah, the aftermath of it um, obviously has been a little rough. And uh, I'm going to give some uh, some phone numbers for people to call, some helplines and stuff like yeah. that here and, in a bit. And just hearing you talk about calling the police so later in, yeah. in life, it ha- does make me... Uh, inclined to perhaps do the do the same huh. although I, I don't know the person's name I know what he called himself yeah from my childhood and stuff but uh, so I saw that always kind of kept me oh from not because it's like well what am I going to say like some yeah. guy who lived in yep but here's the Vancouver thing. at some time yeah exactly but here's the thing so um, I listened to uh, a podcast with Jim Clemente. I've mentioned him to you. He mm-hmm. was the former FBI profiler. Mm-hmm. He was a prosecutor. Yeah. And he was also molested as a kid. Um, he said the average is like 20 years. That people will go for 20 years and not really, report. Really? Yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah. I, like, like it, this I, is very I, common for somebody yeah. who's our age yeah. to be wanting to talk or, or just a little younger to want to talk about it. Wow, that's interesting. It is, yeah. So I mean, as you've talked about, and as you mentioned earlier, uh, a lot of it resonates in regards to not knowing how you feel about yourself, what's right and what's wrong. Am I the bad guy? Was that uh, a lot of that just creates um, silence, right? 
it creates silence. And so like it, it, a, a lot of us will uh, just keep it quiet because yeah. of, of who knew perhaps more violence if you talk if you if you talk about it maybe somebody like uh maybe the person will come and hurt you maybe uh you get embarrassed maybe people will blame you there's so many reasons but it, it's mm-hmm. it's very very easy to to bottle it up yeah well it's not healthy i am living proof that it's not yeah yes you are yeah <laughs> but uh but i'm also living proof that you know stepping out into the sunshine is is the is the best thing for your soul yeah like seriously um this i and honestly i am glad that happened to me in a way today because i can share my experience with somebody else that maybe will help them to overcome their thing Mm -hmm. because i've been through the ringer i've been through it and I've, I'm come out the other side now and I'm able to talk about it in a way that I can share with well, a few a few people who listen to the podcast, right? Yep. But maybe one of them, one, I don't care if it's just one person. If it's, if it's one person that has to hear what I had to say, fantastic. I have done what I mm-hmm. intended to do with this, this episode. And there's something very cathartic as well about publicly getting that off your chest, publicly speaking it because uh, there's no hiding from it after that. It's out there. Yeah. It, it's out there. Yeah. So there's, you, you have to accept it at that point. And there's, there, there's a, I found a very empowering feeling about just getting it out there. It's like, okay, I don't have to hide this no. anymore. No. I don't have to hide this. No. And it's like, so when I watched, and I, I don't want to co-opt another movement or anything like that, a movement, but I've, I watched what, what's happened recently with the people in Hollywood and the, the whole Me Too thing. And I thought, you know, again, I went into minimizing what happened to me because some of the stuff that happened to those people was horrific. Yeah. Horrific. Uh, but at the same time, you know, minimizing doesn't help anybody. No, and it's not about comparing traumas. Yeah. To each individual, yep. your trauma is your trauma. Yep. And it's valid and it's legitimate and it's real. Yeah. And so it's, it's uh, it, uh, again, a lot of what you're saying, so so many parallels ring true with me. But uh, yeah, it's not about who, uh, which trauma is more important or serious than the other. Right. It happened. Yep. And it impacted you. Yep. And it, and it's uh, guided a lot of decision-making in lo- in your life. Oh, for sure. You know? And so it's, um, yeah, it, it's, thank you for sharing. Thank you. So uh, that's it for this episode. <laughs> so uplifting, this one. <laughs> Uh, if you'd like to learn more about this and other episodes of Dark Poutine, check out our website, www.darkpoutine.com. If you have any story ideas, questions, comments, or just want to say hi, lots of people have, uh, you can reach us via email at darkpoutinepodcast at gmail.com. Please follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, and tell your friends about us. Lots of you have done that too, and we really appreciate it. Please subscribe to us on your favorite podcast directory. And if you feel so inclined, please uh, leave a five-star uh, review on on iTunes. And I found out this week that um, if someone leaves a five-star review for us on the American 
iTunes. Mm. I don't see it on the Canadian one, nor do I see it on the UK one. So lots of people have left us reviews and have been so kind and nice and we haven't seen them because I'm a dum-dum. But anyway, so now I know how to do it. So some other people have shown me the way. Yeah, it's interesting because I had somebody reach out to me and be like, hey, have you seen my review? I, I Like, I don't know if it posted or not. Yeah. I was like, I don't see it, but I guess I was on the... That's exactly why. Yeah. Yep. So anyway, mm-hmm. uh, so that's it. Uh, you know what? Every little bit helps us, so we yeah. appreciate it. Yeah. Don't forget to be a good egg and, and not a bad apple like the one I talked about tonight. Don't be like him. No. Bye-bye. <laughs>